Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community of everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at www.utahwomensgivingcircle.com and Utah State University Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information available at cwg.usu.edu. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. This is a unique moment for Utah. Five colleges and universities in the state now have women presidents, several for the first time. These institutions include Utah State University, University of Utah, Utah Valley University, Salt Lake Community College, and Westminster College. As a part of our UPR original series, Utah Women 2020, we're going to talk with three of those presidents on the program today. We'll explore what this means for Utah and for these universities and colleges. Later in the hour, we'll be talking with Utah State University President Noel Cockett and Utah Valley University President Astrid Tuminez. Up uh, first is Salt Lake Community College President Denise Huftelin. So I want to uh, start with a bit of your background. I understand you have uh, bachelor's and doctorate degrees from University of Utah, master's from UCLA, um, and uh, spent uh, quite a few years at uh, SLCC, right, Um, before assuming the presidency. So you were vice president of student affairs, director of academic and career advising, dean of students. That was your background. Yes, correct. I kind of came up through the student affairs side of the house, but have been in higher ed for over 30 years in that capacity before I joined the presidency. Uh, so I, I, I saw an interview you recorded saying you wondered when you were encouraged to uh, put your name in for president that uh, how the how the faculty feel about that. But apparently some of them approached you and said, hey, we, we, don't, we don't have any concerns about that. We We know you. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, historically, on especially at universities, um, presidents have have come through the faculty and from the faculty. Um, they've come through the academic side of the house as faculty or deans and provosts, et cetera. And so, coming from a student affairs background is a little different. Um, but I've I had been here so long at that time and had been so involved with faculty colleagues with curriculum and general education discussions and and new pedagogies that I think. I think they felt like even though I wasn't faculty, I was a an ally and a friend to faculty, and I understood their role and the importance of their role. So that really helped kind of give create confidence around the kind of relationship you can have as a president with the, with the academy. It is an unusual path to the presidency, isn't it? Usually, people uh, you know folks come through uh, the faculty route. Yes, and it's changing actually. You know, the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it started to shift a little. You started to see presidents coming really from the outside, um, coming from business sometimes as CEOs and private industry. So it's not as, um, it's not as lockstep as it used to be in terms of coming up through the academic affairs side. In fact, I just was part of an article in, from, in Student Affairs Magazine about, um, kind of a, a growth of people that are coming from student affairs into the presidency. It seems to be coming a bit more common. And uh, it's in the past been fairly unusual to have a woman as president of institutions. Now we have a unique moment in Utah. Five of our institutions of higher learning have women presidents. Yeah, it's true. I'm actually the second president, women president at Salt Lake Community College. Cynthia Biota, who preceded me, was the first but I'm lucky enough to be in the state at a time when we have, I have four other women colleagues alongside me in the in the system and private institutions, which is, it's a really great, it's a great moment and even better, they're great colleagues and really wonderful leaders. And I suppose on one hand, you'd, uh, it'd be nice if we get to a, a, a point where this would be unremarkable, right? But, it, but at this point, <laughs> it, is, it is remarkable. What, what do you think it means? Yeah, I love that you said that because I've, I'm torn sometimes about um, the, the, pub, the publicity that we're getting as the five women is lovely, and I, I appreciate it, and I think it's really important for young women and, um, well, any women to kind of see leaders um, at the top as CEOs and to see that that's a path that they can, that they can one day inherit, but... But I also am with you. I, it would be nice if it was unremarkable. It would be nice if it was so common and and industry and politics and 
education was kind of, you know, equal in terms of men and women leaders and that that was no longer a big deal. What do you think what do you think women bring do you think uh what difference does this make uh, at these five institutions do you think Well uh, we all bring very very different things to the table in terms of leadership styles and um goals our, all of our institutional missions are quite diverse so we come with sets of skills that are really different from one another um but I do think what it brings, at least at Salt Lake Community College, I think I've heard a lot from from folks here that they appreciate, again, that kind of sense of being a role model, someone that they can look up to, and um, whether it's young student, women students seeing me in a position of power or authority, or whether it's other folks that are kind of coming up through the ranks as staff or faculty seeing that as an option. I think in some ways it's it's really just a it's a spotlight on um, on opportunity, right, and possibility. Um, I do think in some cases women bring uh, just a very different perspective in terms of their life experience, especially maybe being in a position of power. And so sometimes the way we communicate or facilitate discussion or move projects forward might be um, a bit different, and, and that's kind of a nice, I think, a nice new focus for the institutions. Um, I, I want to, uh, I guess, pray, I was going to phrase this generally, but I'll, I'll phrase it personally. What were your goals growing up? What, what did you see yourself as, as doing, and, and do you think that maybe has changed to uh, girls growing up today? Yeah, I. Um, well, it depends on when you ask me. I mean, when I was really, really young, the goals were way out of craziness. But um, when I was in my graduate program and kind of had focused on higher education as a career, um, really being at the Dean of Students was the ultimate goal. I, I just thought that would be the perfect role. And I, I, I was fortunate enough to get into that role and loved that role, and um, it was everything I imagined. It was great to be with students and be part of their development and create opportunities for them to grow and discover who they were. And So I really loved that. That was my ambition as a higher ed a master's degree student. That was the ultimate goal for me. And I achieved that relatively young in my career and so after a few years in that role I started to think well maybe there's more that I can do in terms of leadership and shaping dialogue and and options and so I kind of just kept going. Hmm. Uh, so for some of these institutions uh, this is the first time in their history they've had a, a woman president. Uh, yes. Not So you're succeeding yeah. a, a previous woman in, in that role. What do you think that has done? And for these other institutions, uh, what does that milestone mean, do you think? I think it's, I mean, I think in many ways it's kind of what we just talked about. For It's for young women and for people to see, especially at the Research One universities, I think um, that's a that's a breakthrough that it doesn't necessarily always happen. And so uh, in Utah to have two of our research institutions led by women and um, now UVU and to have a private liberal arts college. I mean, we all, as I mentioned earlier, we all have very different missions. But I think for all of those institutions where, where these folks are the first woman, that's just a great, it's a great statement to their, to their community and to their college students and staff and faculty about, again, possibility. I want to talk a little bit about your institution, Salt Lake Community College. Uh, maybe just a couple of minutes would, you know, introduce us. What, what's your elevator pitch for SLCC? Yeah, so we are really, I would say, we're really the only comprehensive community college in the state. Uh, Snow College is a great institution and also confers two-year degrees, but as you know, it's much smaller, more residential, and, and more focused on uh, transfer. Um, we have just a significant footprint in Salt Lake County, 11 sites. Uh, we serve about 60,000 students annually, and that's both credit and non-credit. So we take our mission in terms of transferring students successfully to a baccalaureate degree or preparing them with a certificate or degree to go right into the world of work. We take that very, very seriously, and we're always kind of watching what are the workforce needs, how do we create curriculum to attend to those, and then how do we just hire the best faculty that are phenomenal teachers to get students prepared and ready to go on to baccalaureate and further their further education. What uh, what are your goals? What are the problems you're trying to solve? 
You know, we I think we have lots of room to improve around student completion. We still have students that start with us and seem to have a goal of a degree, but somehow along the way life gets in the way and they drop out and they don't come back. Um, that's a problem for the state. We have a large number of students that have some college and no degree. And we know that when you have a certificate or degree, any kind of post-secondary education, that really enhances your ability in terms of job mobility, obviously wage increases. Um, And so we're trying to get students to decide what they want early on, if they can, help guide them in that direction, and then keep them here so that they can be successful. We also have the largest diverse student population, and we still see some achievement gaps there that we're trying very hard to uh, close those gaps and make sure that we're creating completion opportunities for all students. I wonder, so your student body uh, is pretty diverse, uh, as you say, a lot of veterans, a uh, fair number of yep. uh, first in their families, right, to to, uh, to attend. Yeah, we, we have about 54% of our students identify as first generation, meaning neither their mom nor dad had an opportunity to go to college. We have, as you mentioned, a lot of veterans that return and take advantage of their um, financial aid and come back and get degrees. We have a little over 30% of our students who identify as uh, students of color coming from different racial or ethnic backgrounds. Um, Pretty even in terms of gender, pretty large in terms of percentage of students that identify as students with disabilities. So I think that's actually an asset for the college, and I think the learning environments that are created by those differences or perceived differences really lend to um, better learning in the classroom and more perspectives and and more opportunity to engage with folks that may have different experiences than you do. Uh, so bring back uh, briefly to uh, folks on gender, what uh, the, the, the women, the girls, the women who uh, attend Salt Lake Community College, uh, special, are, are there barriers there still? Um. You know, I think we actually, our graduation rates are pretty even, men and women, so we don't see a, a graduation lag there. I do think that often women are um, maybe bound a little bit more by child care issues. Um, sometimes I think women um, in in our state where, where people get married relatively young, we see often that the woman will um, drop out of college to kind of help the man get through college and then with the intention to come back. And then whether or not that happens is is debatable. And so we, I'm always kind of talking with our women about keeping on track, staying focused on their educational goal, getting their degree, um, because I think that's such an important thing to have for them in terms of life security, right, job security and um, the opportunity to have a little bit higher wage and more mobility in the workforce in terms of what they may want to pursue. So we don't see the gender gap in terms of completion, but we do see women uh, availing themselves of, you know, child care resources and um, those kinds of opportunities when, they, when they're struggling or, or maybe struggling is not the right word, juggling many commitments. What would you say, uh, final question here, what, what would you say to, um, I was going to say, you know, to girls, I guess boys as well, um, with our focus here on, the, on, on, on women and girls, uh, what would you say to those girls uh, contemplating maybe, hey, I'd like to be in leadership in business or or uh, university setting or, or in some way in leadership? What would you say to them? I would just say jump in. I mean, I think women have, there are opportunities that you can avail yourself of. Find a mentor in the area where you are, wherever you're working. Find someone that you admire that is in a position maybe you are thinking about and, and ask her if you can talk to her about that experience and how she, how she got there and, and take advantage of resources. We have, at the Inst- at Salt Lake Community College, we have a, a strong cohort of women that are connected to one another in a network and who are continually creating professional development opportunities and networking opportunities for each other. And I am so supportive of that and I'm always willing to, you know, talk about my, my story or connect women with other women that I know are, um, really wise and can give them valuable resources. So my advice would be to find someone that you admire or that you're interested in and ask them. Ask them about themselves and how they did it. You'll be surprised how much they'd be willing to share. We've been talking with Denise Huftelin, uh, president of Salt Lake Community College. Uh, president, thank you so much. You're more than welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, uh, and we are talking about a unique moment for Utah. Five colleges and universities in the state now have women presidents, several for the first time. My thanks to President Huftaland there. Following a break, we're going to be speaking with uh, two more university presidents, um, and they'll be on together. USU President Noel Cockett and uh, UVU President Astrid Tuminez. This uh, program today is a part of our UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. Hey, I'm Saroja Coelho in for Tom Power. You'll hear Tom's conversation with actor Natalie Portman. She told him about her newest film, Vox Lux. She plays a school shooting survivor who becomes a famous but troubled pop star. Natalie Portman on the dark side of fame. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. This afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time, and you're listening to Utah Public Radio. As 2018 comes to a close, I want to thank you for celebrating UPR's 65th anniversary with us this year. It's your support that has made these years possible. And with your pledge today, you can be part of the next 65 years. So help spread the holiday cheer by making your gift at upr.org. Next time on Living on Earth... The creation story of planet Earth. Our nearest neighbor, our partner in space, the moon, is a key part of that story because it set the ending of Earth's growth and the beginning of our climate. Studying the moon to understand the genesis of our planet. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to uh, Utah Public Radio's Access Utah. Our episode today is a part of our UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. Five colleges and universities in the state now have women presidents, several for the first time. It's a pretty unique moment, and we're exploring what this means. Up next, a conversation with Utah State University President Noel Cockett and Utah Valley University President Astrid Tuminez. Let me start with President Cockett on, on this one. I talked with President Huftalin about this and mentioned that perhaps she would prefer that this were unremarkable. And she said, yes, that would would be a good place to get to, but for now it's remarkable. President Cocker, what do you think it means? I am so excited to have colleagues uh, on the Council of Presidents that uh, can support me and understand uh, better how great this uh, moment is for the state of Utah. So I agree with Denise fully, wish it wasn't remarkable, but I couldn't think of a better group of women leaders to be working with side by side. So I've, I've realized I have made some excellent new friends. Uh, President Tuminez, what, uh, what do you think this means? Well, well, first of all, amen to, to what President Cockett said just now. Um, I do think it is a moment to celebrate. And when I mention the statistic to friends around the world, they are, they are shocked and impressed. And um, I do like also to remind people that behind this rise of five you know, women to these positions of leadership in higher education in Utah, uh, behind this is decades, really, of hard work decades of preparation, and and it's wonderful to see this leadership rise to the top because as, as we look uh, around the world, not just the United States, in many different sectors, women have entered in the last few decades in droves in different sectors and industries, but the leadership uh, structure remains a pyramid where, you know, fewer and fewer, fewer women as you go higher, while at the bottom ever more women entering uh, the labor force, and and so this is exciting. I celebrate it. I'm I'm thrilled and honored to be one of these women. President Cock, I was reading a um, interview with Desert News soon after you were uh, chosen as president of USU, and you said something very interesting. Uh, you said that you've been asked over the years um, what advice you would give to to women, uh, you know, in leadership, women in academia, and you said that it. I guess it took you some time to formulate a an answer to this because to you you just go for it that's right that's right 
But as I've had the opportunity to meet with young women who are interested in my trajectory, uh, I've come to realize that for some re- women, they need that support from the back. And, uh, you know, maybe more opportunities to network, to share their skills, um, to be placed in bigger and bigger um, responsibilities, higher and higher up. And so I really want to help create those opportunities for other women, both on my own team as well as across the different organizations and units that I have some contact with. Uh, I've also uh, come to appreciate that many women have a style of leadership that is just right for today's world. It allows uh, a flatter organization with more input from around the table on decisions, on directions. Uh, the leader, whether it's male or female, still needs to make that final decision. But that input, that involvement, that buy-in, that feeling part of the organization is just so critical, I think, in today's world. And so my guess is that we will see more and more women as time goes on because of this approach that we have. President Tumenez, I'm I'm uh, interested to, to hear your response to this. Uh, uh, President Cocker just said that she feels like uh, the, many women have this style of leadership that's right for our times. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I agree with that. In fact, I think there 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 are studies on on you know leadership styles that may be more uh, expressed by women leaders other than men. But what, as we look at the world today. I think it is important to observe that many of the barriers in the old days have broken down barriers to communication, barriers to marketing, you know, how ideas spread and so on. And and we, with with a breakdown of these barriers, the old ways of being, you know, hierarchical, which is traditionally defined as a masculine style, I, I think that, that that has become less effective. And if you look at the distribution of information, distribution of knowledge, of capital, uh, even of political power, if, if you look at something like, you know, the Arab Spring, um, you have to think that that power works differently and and I think women have, have been preparing for for you know this moment in time and again I don't want to essentialize that X style is women Y style is men but but the fact that um, you know the leadership experience is gendered and and often women I think if you look at the last uh, couple of generations have had to work their way through leadership in a different way, I think that does impact um, style of leadership today. Uh, I'd like to direct uh, this uh, question first to President Tuminez. Uh, what are the barriers? Are there still barriers there to women in leadership, and uh, are, is that changing? Yes, so, so um, in Asia, where I lived for the last 13 years, um, I have actually looked at women's leadership there because I found the continent so interesting in that there is so much new affluence and Asia became the engine of the world economy in the last three to four decades and women made great advances in health and education. But again, you know, at the, at the very top, there are still very few women and the barriers, uh, in my own study, a lot of it has to do really with two things. The first thing is childbearing. When women choose to have families and they choose to have children, they're put in that very difficult uh, position of, you know, how do they continue their professional careers and perform at peak there when there are also tremendous pressures and new roles, really new and very demanding roles, and you become a mother. And then that links to the other set of factors uh, that I've looked at, which I call the sticky factors, which tend to be cultural in Asia. But even um, in a place like Utah, these cultural factors also play a role. So if you think of men and women running a race, and the metaphor here would be, you know, the man runs the race in, in, that, in that professional career, and then the w- woman has these other hurdles that are there. So when, when uh, researchers have looked at what they call the leaking pipeline, 
for women, a lot of it, leaking pipeline where you have massive women entering the workforce and then they really peter out and drop out. It's very, a lot of it is really during the, the childbearing years. So these are some of the barriers. Of course, books like Lean In will say to you that it's also the personal commitment. You know, you lean in. But you can only lean in so much when structural variables, cultural variables and, and hurdles are, are in your way. So I think there are things, to, there are hurdles at the individual level, the team and organization, and then writ large public policy, what, what, what governments are doing to understand these hurdles and, and barriers and try to address them. Uh, President Cockett, same question to you. The, the, the barriers, what are the barriers and, and are they changing? Well, I, I think that, uh, again, as I work with um, the, the younger generation, students who are in college, students that have recently graduated, uh, those individuals really seem to be um, more, um, uh, less aware of differences. They're more inclusive of across race, ethnicity, uh, gender, Etc. And so they're not really watching, I think, um, to see is that a male or is that a female. But the bottom line is we don't, as uh, Astrid said, we don't have enough women in the pipeline to work up to the positions where they're needed. So I think it just is so critical for all of us to continue to mentor young women to encourage them to try things that maybe they're a little uncertain on. Um, I actually was talking with some people um, one day, some of my vice presidents, and I got sort of enamored with this idea that young boys um, are often encouraged through sports to not think that they need to be uh, perfect. You know, we don't say make the shot on a basketball, we say take the shot. And I was reflecting on my own time as basketball, I actually would not take the shot unless I knew that I could make it. And so I think there we need to start even back at that age, uh, the young ages, to say take some chances. You know, don't be afraid of not getting everything that you uh, see ahead of you, that that just is part of life, et cetera. Um, so I want to see more young women willing to put themselves out there to take some of those shots, to, to work at uh, the things that they love, and then as time goes on, we'll have that fuller, more robust pipeline uh, that can get women into uh, higher and higher positions of leadership. President uh, Tuminez, I'm interested to hear your response to that. Uh, the, the girls maybe being taught um, to be perfect or more perfect and, and not taking that <laughs> shot. Do you, do you agree that that happens? And, uh, uh, well, there, you there's some research it? around that, too. So in terms of the metaphor of taking the shot, whether, you know, women raise their hands for promotions or bigger assignments, and and there's data that shows when men see that they have, you know, three of five uh, requirements necessary for a position, they're eager to raise their hands. And then women who actually have all five, they, they self-doubt and, and question. And, and so, um, so I, I, I think sports is a great way, not only a great metaphor, but actually really in practice, you know, to compete and to know that you, you will fail, you'll have the good days, bad days, you, you get up, you live to, to fight another day. And, and at Utah Valley University, in my, the first three months of my presidency, I've attended a lot of athletic events, and I've loved nothing more, both with our men and women's sports, that, that, than to see when we are behind, you know, so many points to, to recover and, and, and keep going. And so the, the perfection, I, I think the one concern is that perfection now is not just uh, in the old days, this whole value of beauty, femininity. The other thing now is you're expected to do everything. And so I think, I think for, for women it is, it is important to, in a way, just say, you know, uh, I do my best. And I think about my husband's former boss on Wall Street where when she made mistakes, she would pat herself literally on the back and say, uh, you did your best, and then she would move on to the next uh, 
thing at hand. And I think that's a good skill to have. You, you move on and, and tackle the next thing, and you learn from what happened. You learn from, you know, any failure or thing that you were not so happy about. Oh, that, that sounds great. I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to, I'm going to try that. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to uh, Access Utah and uh, on this program, which is part of our UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. We're talking with UVU President Astrid Tuminez, you heard her right there, and with uh, USU President Noelle Cockett. After the break... We're going to explore uh, some of the very interesting personal stories of these two presidents. President Cockett was raised on a, a ranch in Montana. President Jimenez grew up in the slums of Iloilo City in the Philippines. More following this break. Hi, I'm Lynn Warfel, inviting you to join me for Hollywood Holiday, the Ebenezer edition from American Public Media. Dickens' novella, A Christmas Carol, has been brought to life in nearly every art form imaginable, but for me, the story comes truly alive in movies. Join me for a Hollywood Holiday Ebenezer edition from American Public Media. Tuesday evening at 9 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. This episode is a part of the UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. We're reacting to the unique fact that right now, five colleges and universities in Utah have women presidents. We're exploring what this means. And we're talking right now with UVU President Astrid Tuminez and with USU President Noel Cockett. I'd like to, uh, to get into a bit of a bit of your background of each of you, very interesting background. Let's start with President Cockett on this. Um, a ranch in Montana is where you were raised, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, so, And you said something very interesting in this interview I made reference to. Uh, nobody treated you like a girl. You were out there doing everything anybody else was. That's right. That's right. I think that's where I learned that everybody has unique skills and talents and uh, there's a range of things that we can all do, uh, and mine happened to be driving a tractor straighter than my brother's, but I wasn't necessarily able to lift uh, as much as they were. And so I think it was just uh, like uh, we've been discussing, knowing where you're at, and uh, and building on those strengths. So uh, that life helped me. It also, uh, we also learned to work hard and problem solve. So it was great skills that I learned uh, that I could take forward. Yeah, that's that's something, yeah, the hard work, but the, I think we associate that with farming and ranching. The problem solving, yeah, I can I can see that. Uh, the whole range of problems to solve just about every day, right? Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, your dream was to become a veterinarian. Uh, I was reading this article that uh, kind of reassured me that someone as successful as you um, <laughs> kind of had a problem that I had early in my undergraduate years. You uh, you had this, this the life of discipline. You came to a new life and... Uh, got some less than great grades, I guess, for a little bit. That's exactly right. So, I, you know, I've learned that students love that story um, because I think they do need to, to understand that um, there's fits and starts and stops and changes in one's pathway, but you can get to something really great uh, by moving forward. So I've I've shared that story more often now that I realize that it actually is met favorably than something that I should uh, try to forget. I want people <laughs> to know that you just take you take the paths that open up to you. And uh, one of those great paths, uh, you you found you still had an interest in biology, right, and uh, chemistry, and. Uh, um, got into animal genomics and a uh, very interesting field. Right, right. That's another um, lesson that I have learned that I try to share with our students, and that is that there's many, many opportunities out there that they might not even realize today. We like to think that we're giving our students a broad exposure to a variety of fields, uh, but 
maybe it just takes um, a few more classes or a few more conversations, a little bit more exploration, and then being ready to take alternative paths as they open up. Uh, there's a lot of pressure in the one side not to change majors because it can uh, lengthen the time that a student's in school. But on the other hand, those exploratory classes, exploratory internships, shadowing, uh, you know, different opportunities can help with that direction. I want to get into some of the background uh, from you, President Tuminez. A very interesting, uh, uh, I guess, uh, born and for a first couple of years of your life in a farming village, right? And then your yes. then your parents moved you to the to the city, uh, specifically for education for you guys. What 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 was the reason? So um, yeah, so I I was born in a in a very remote uh, farming village, and then when I was two, my mother decided that we should move to the city even though we, we had no means and we had to live in the slums. And she didn't care because she thought that the city, an urban setting, would, would give my family more opportunities. And she had, you know, she had seven children, and my father was earning the equivalent of about $50 a month. But I want to echo what uh, President Cockett said about hard work and, and problem solving because that was really, those were two critical um, aspects of, of my own background. And, you know, when I, when I had my first child, I actually asked my mother how she survived in the village. And, you know, she would harvest rice when she was eight months pregnant just to get a little bit of cash for her children. And, and I asked her about diapers, and this is problem solving. Um, so she would get the sacks that contained American cornmeal donated to the Philippines, and she told me she would cut them into these triangles and wash them by the river, you know, ten times so that they would get soft enough for my bottom when I was born. And and so problem solving, I think um, those two things are so important, hard work and problem solving, because when you're living in circumstances where it's really a, a very literal question of survival and and then just making it from day to day, you do have to you do have to problem solve. You you don't have resources to throw at your problems, and of course, because my early education uh, was with Catholic nuns, um, back to the the theme of uh, women in higher education, I was I consider myself very lucky to have known or to have been in a school, you know, at, at a very early age where all the authority figures were women. The principal was a nun. The mother superior was a nun. And, and and then just the, the background having to do with uh, kind of grit and resilience. And I love being at Utah Valley University because we have 77% of our students who are working students and more than half of them working, uh, coming from below median income families in Utah. I, I really truly feel like I am among my own people and that um, it, we have great opportunities. We just have to work hard and problem solve. You uh, you said I've reading an interview here. You said that um, you you had a dream. I guess you you'd learned there's a place called New York City. Yes. And you're you're going to go there. <laughs> yes. So so the school that I went to and the nuns let us go there for free. They had a very nice library, and um, when I learned to read, I, I just made it a point to read everything I could lay my hands on. And they had a subscription to Time magazine. And, and so I was reading in there about New York City and the United Nations. And, you know, one day I was in my hut and um, young American missionaries uh, asked me what I wanted to be. And without skipping a beat, I said, I want to live in New York City and be Secretary General of the United Nations. So I was obviously just mouthing something that uh, looked so exciting in Time magazine. Um, but interestingly, I did live in New York City for 13 years, and I even worked for the United Nations one summer as a lowly unpaid intern. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, you, uh, I guess, you have another something uh, in common with uh, President Cockett. You set out to, you set out to in medical studies. Then that changed. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I uh, started at the University of the Philippines uh, very young. I was 15 and. And I started a major in chemical engineering, and and then um, I I wasn't fast enough in mathematics, so I said I'll I'll become a doctor instead, and 
and so I signed up for pre-med chemistry zoology and uh, and then I dissected small animals and when we got to the big animals I refused to do it because I had to find a cat and bring it there and put it to sleep and cut it up so I realized no I, I don't I don't really think this major is for me but what President Cockett just said about you know exploration and that's okay I think because in fact that is the point in life when you're younger and you have the luxury to to just um, be curious about many things and then telling yourself that I'll find that spot that sweet spot where passion and competence and and then, you know, it may not even be the end of that journey because you find that there are other things that you can do later on that, you know, were not necessarily part of what you majored in or what your degree was in college. I want to uh, take to your, your current jobs. I'll start with President Cockett on this. What's, uh, what's your top couple of challenges that you're, uh, that you're tackling right now? Well, um, Certainly, I have a strong commitment to bring access to um, people across the state in post-secondary education. So access, making sure we have the kinds of programs that will get people to um, that next step in their life. Uh, we have a lot of um, requests for help for our students and just I was working earlier today on what is turning out to be a dramatic increase in requests for counseling and help with mental well-being, uh, as well as academic help or, you know, leadership development, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so these requests outside the classroom um, also add to a responsibility for us to deliver those things. And then all wrapped around that is making sure that the the cost of getting not only the post-secondary education, but these extra things that are needed uh, to keep those at an affordable level. So um, my commitment to access and affordability is very, very strong. Uh, but worry sometimes whether I can do all that's needed. Uh, President uh, Tumines, uh, what are your top couple of challenges? Oh, I have many challenges. I, I also call them opportunities at, at UVU. So like President Cockett, I think access and affordability, we are an open admission university, and we continue to be committed to that. As I look around and, and realize more and more that, that we live in a world where so much change is happening, so many positive things are happening, but the dark side is always there, you know, especially inequality. And I, I believe education is one leveler of opportunity. So maintaining our open access and we are growing. Uh, the, related to that is the second challenge of, you know, resourcing and supporting that growth because inclusion alone is not opportunity. Opportunity means that when we bring students here, whatever stage of preparation they're in, and we do have students who are very, very well prepared, uh, students who are less prepared, we have to be able to um, bring them the, the, the support, the, the degree articulations, what we offer here from the one-year certificate to the associate, the bachelor's, the master's, and even non-degree programs, and really deliver that well. We are very, very non-traditional in our student makeup, and it is a minority of our students who are first-time, full-time, four-year students. So, so just starting from the get-go with a very non-traditional student body, we need to support the dreams and aspirations and honor the fees people are paying in order to really get them to what, what I call, you know, student success, but I define that in two ways. Uh, one is the terminal degree, something meaningful that you take with you and the skills and competencies that go with that. And the other half of it is a very positive overall university experience where at UVU you've learned to be comfortable with discomfort, you've learned to get along well with others, you've learned to be more confident and, and grittier. And um, I think uh, with, with the, there is a general sentiment on higher education that is not so positive, and so we have to be ever more clear in what it is we are trying to do 
and ever more clear in explaining how we are getting there and ever more clear in proving that we are succeeding in delivering the impact that, that we want to deliver in the lives of our students. Well, coming down to the uh, last few minutes of the conversation, uh, President Cockett, um, President Tumina has said uh, something struck me. I'll uh, run this past you and then uh, a similar question to her. Uh, President Tumina says, I think multitasking is just a reality of life. And I, <laughs> um, so, you know, having it all versus, you know, what you can do. Um, so uh, let me phrase it this way. I know that uh, even as you um, are president of uh, this major university, you continue your research. Uh, what advice would you have for, for people to, uh, to are trying to fit everything together? Well, I think uh, I've, I've uh, had to reduce uh, my level of perfection. And uh, I like to keep very busy um, at all times, uh, and so uh, I can still get a lot done. But, you know, maybe there's some things that I could have fit in or I could have handled uh, before becoming president, and now I have to say, you know, that's not as much of a priority anymore. So uh, keeping busy uh, also gives me um, sometimes I'm busy with my hands, not so much my mind. That lets me do a little reflection on maybe those those nagging problems that I have uh, back at work. Um, so I think uh, having to remember that not everything needs to be perfect, and um, and then of course delegating. I've got a great, 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 great team around me, they are ready and able to do things for me. Um, I don't do it because I'm concerned. I don't uh, hold back on assigning them things because I'm I'm not sure they can do it. It's more I feel um, awkward asking them to do something that I know I could do. So it was learning that I'm preventing them from doing their job that's that's what they want to do they want to help me so feeling comfortable with giving other people tasks and then they're just so pleased that they can help me in that way so it was learning those two things uh, before i go to president tumina as a follow-up to you president cockett um uh when i phrased that question about multitasking and having it all and and um you know, I, I asked it in a, in a gender-neutral way, but in the <laughs> back of my mind, I'm feeling as you're answering, um, it is bound up in gender, isn't it? We have different expectations of girls and women, do we? Or? Well, I think it's how we uh, do see support of our family, um, those around us. I love to have a great holiday season with gifts for extended family and friends and the Christmas tree and the dinners and and all of that, uh, it would be hard for me to completely stop that because I do take so much pleasure in that, but maybe it just doesn't have to be done to the extent that it was years ago. I think I place the expectation on me far, far more than people put the expectation on me, so... Uh, so uh, I'm learning to adjust those kinds of things. Mm, interesting. Uh, so, President Tuminez, uh, I'll start there. Um, different expectations, especially with you know how we teach girls, uh, is, is that still true? Do you think? Um, so, so different expectations. You, you know, um, I, I think I think there is some of that. I, I personally have tried to kind of ignore that. And, and when I say, you know, multitasking is a reality, I think I want to underline that it, it is hard. So not for a moment when people ask me, oh, you're so successful and you have these three children, etc. I always tell people, look, it's hard. It, it's not like, you know, I just coasted. Yeah, that, that multitasking and juggling has indeed been, been hard work. But there are kind of three principles maybe that I would talk about that, that have helped me 
You know, one is to embrace, to really embrace when I'm busy, uh, just embrace it and and love it. <laughs> and that makes me always happier and more effective. And, and then second, be present. You know, being a mother taught me to be present because when I was uh, doing the 2 a.m. nursing of my baby in Manhattan in a very lonely apartment, looking at the lonely street outside, I noted, uh, noticed that if my mind wandered, my baby felt it and would start crying. And so, so just being present in whatever that moment is and what I'm doing and being all there helps to make the multitasking actually uh, more restful than discombobulating. And then I think the third principle is, you know, finding your quiet space. I became a runner after my third child was born because I felt like I was hitting a wall in so many ways. And, and that running, uh, and I, I used to run in the Makrichi Reservoir in Singapore, is this kind of far place with monkeys and no music and just finding that quiet place whatever that is for you and 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 teamwork so president cockett mentioned her team i think that is so critical to know how to delegate and then to know absolutely what i cannot delegate and and in my family where you know in our 20s when my husband and i met each other and and he told me i was responsible for my own happiness and and that really started this this great partnership where there are very difficult times but it's good to know that that this is a partnership because both running a family and having two um you know high charging careers it's 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 hard work and you've got to have that understanding and that place where where you can discuss the tough things and then you know when you fail at something just just recover. So all of those things put together, I think, have made the multitasking doable, and, and I, I'm not perfect there. There are days I wish I could get a little more sleep, but, but you know, um, I don't ask for what I don't have. My conversation there with uh, Utah Valley University President Astrid Tuminez and uh, Utah State University President Noel Cockett. Our thanks to them and to Salt Lake Community College President Denise Huftelin, who we heard from earlier in the hour. We were talking to three of the five college and university presidents in Utah who are women. Uh, several of the business students have women present for the first time. We were asking what this means and uh, getting some uh, background. Interesting discussion. Glad you joined it. Uh, you can uh, check out uh, more of uh, the episodes in our uh, series, Utah Women 2020, by going to upr.org. upr.org. Uh, just a note that this series will continue into January, including a panel discussion on the USU campus in late January on the Me Too movement. We'll get you more details about that as we go along. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah State University Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information available at cwg.usu.edu. And the Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community of everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information available at www.utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan. Also heard at upr.org.